I'm, I'm at a place in a season of my life where I am busy. And, um, and the tendency is when things like that come up in, in life, um, it can rob you of joy and it can rob you of peace and it can rob you of really recognizing the hand of God moving in your life. And um, you start to, to do things independently and rather than depending on the Lord and knowing that was a season of my life, um, I've been diving into scriptures related to that topic. <clears throat> we are in the middle of a building project with our church family. We're near the end. You should have seen everybody that was at the facility working yesterday. They were swinging from the rafters like monkeys. It was crazy. There's so many people working there. They literally were swinging from the rafters. But, but the, there's like blood in the water. They can taste the end. Like people were staying there like 6 o'clock hammer and stuff. No, we can get a finish tonight. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was great. It was really, it was encouraging to see uh, because it's been something that we've been laboring at since Halloween of last year. And so I, I realized this, that um, I think Stacy got pregnant and had a baby before we were able to finish the church and move in. So I, I, I don't know what that means. Uh, but, but. Um, so we've been we've been pregnant for a while over this building, and um, and the tendency is when you take on projects like that, um, everything gets neglected because of that. And just being honest, when when we bought this building, um, we were meeting as a as uh, some of these uh, some of our guys were just praying about this facility. And anytime you've ever seen a church go through a building project, uh, you, you take a step back and you realize what you're about to get into because usually. Um, there are difficult circumstances that arise in the church while the building project's going on. It just takes so much time to do things like that that other ministries tend to um, get difficult, I guess, would be the best way to say it. Um, and, and you can have the tendency of losing joy in that and things get neglected. And, um, and, and so before I, I go any further, I, I, I do want to say to all of you who have labored diligently on our building and any ministry that you've done in this church, whether it be Zumba, Kids Church, Nursery, um, ladies ministries and something I'm forgetting, cleaning the entry room when you come in, something that someone's getting mad at me because I just didn't say, whatever it, whatever it is, I just want you to know that, that while, while we're doing this building project, my heart constantly thinks about you. And I'm, I'm praying for you and I'm loving what the Lord is doing in us, in our community, in our church family here. But nonetheless, as I think about the season of life that we're going through, it, it, presents difficulty because we're dividing ourselves beyond, really, in some parts, our capabilities. And I, and I started thinking about um, having a new baby now. When, when I study for sermons in, at, for church, it's like 11 uh, p.m. to 2 or 3 a.m. because I came in from the building all day, spent time with the family, and, and uh, around dinner time, and, and then I get up at like 4 because my kid hates sleeping, my new kid hates that. I haven't had sleep since he's been born, I don't think. So, <laughs> but, but you realize, you know, this, this could lead to stress and, and, and um, a difficult circumstance. And, you know, think about the early disciples when they're following after Jesus. If you would ask them in that moment, they're, they're so close to the ministry of Christ, and they're seeing the things that he's, he's doing in this world, and they start to realize the tables are turning, and the Jewish people are getting the upper hand, and, and they've just crucified Christ, and, and this whole thing's just become a mess, and, and, and they're wondering where this road's going to lead, and, and they're just trying to get out of this situation alive. They saw what happened to Jesus, and they don't want the same thing to happen to them. Let's just give up and walk away. Now, I wonder if they thought to themselves just how incredible the Lord could move in their lives and how 
through them the power of God could work so mightily that within the first three centuries of Christianity, the entire known world heard the gospel. I mean, could you imagine? They're so close to that moment and it looks so hard that they, they don't have the opportunity just to take a step back and look at what God is really doing. And I think about that with our situation so close to the ministry of what's taking place here. All we think about is just the next job. Let's just get through the next job. But taking the opportunity just to take a step back and say, you know what, look at what the Lord is doing here. You think about just our church family in our city proclaiming the Lord's name. I don't know if you realize this, but this weekend marks actually the fifth year that we've been in existence. But you think about our existence. I don't even know if you really call it a beginning because uh, we, we had like three families and then my wife and I in my living room at my house. That's all that could fit. And we're sitting there studying God's word, getting a vision for what the Lord would want us to do here and then just start it. I don't even, we're just saying, I remember standing in, in Wines Park because it's the center of our city praying for this town and saying, uh, God, I, I don't know how this is going to happen, but we're moving here and we're starting, we're going to start this church and Lord, whatever you want to do, God, just do it. And I have no idea how you're going to do it. You know, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy talk. It felt like coming out of my mouth. But you think in just, in just five years, what this church, the Lord's done through this church. I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with all the ministries that happen in Utah, and I want to see God bless the ministries in Utah. But I've not met a church home that's been able to get their own facility within five years. It says to me, the Lord's at work. He's doing things in our lives and in our midst for His goodness and glory. It's worthy of us in the midst of our diligent laboring lives just to pause and reflect on the goodness of what He's doing. I was studying out the Bible when I, when I started to realize, okay, this road's going to get rocky and, and I'm going to have a baby and time's going to be hard and life's going to be stressful and what in God's word speaks to that? And I remember we went through Ecclesiastes just recently, so I just decided to go back through it again on a personal note just to see what, what the Lord could use within Ecclesiastes because that book talks about Solomon. You know, he, he was living for, for the world. He was living for self-made pleasure. Whatever his eyes saw that he delighted in, he just took for himself. And he said the end of that road it, it ended in no happiness for him, no joy, no satisfaction. He couldn't find it. And then he... he talked about how to find it. And I got to chapter 2 in that passage, and, and I read this. So I came to hate life. Now I thought the, the answer is not here. <laughs> that is not what I want, Solomon. I'm going to a different book, okay? We've been in Ecclesiastes enough recently. Solomon talks about the stress of life, though. He builds up these expectations of all these things that are supposed to bring him joy, and in the end, they lead to disappointment. And the result of that, finding no satisfaction. So he hates life. You think about the opposite of that and search of that when you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, which is where we're going to be today. The Apostle Paul talks about his own experiences in doing ministry for the Lord. And I've got to say, out of anyone in this world, if you had to pick one person to say, you know, he had a difficult road for Jesus. It's Paul. And when you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, he begins to write to the body of Christ in Corinth discussing the adversity he found in his faith 
in Christ and the joy he was able to have as he followed after Jesus. He summed it up this way when you look at the text. He says in both verse 1 and verse 16, we do not lose heart. We think about all the opposition that we face and all the difficult circumstances that surround what it it means in being an apostle as Paul was or following after Jesus. I I don't lose heart. Matter of fact, the apostles, we we don't lose heart. And and he communicates to the uh, believers there, how is it that, that we aren't losing heart? Well, let me just tell you, if you're going through difficulty in your life, circumstances aren't exactly the way that you want, you get frustrated at particular things that don't work out the way you had envisioned, this is how you don't lose heart. And can I tell you, the Bible, as it begins to explain the idea of not losing heart to us, seems like it's double speaking in a way. So the idea of Scripture, when you read it, the foundation for what Paul says is, is found in, in verse 3. Let me show you why. In, in uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, oops. In chapter 4 and verse 1, he says the word, therefore. So anytime you read a passage of Scripture and you see the word, therefore, and you can ask this question in a cheesy way, what's therefore, therefore, right? And then, and then you can go back and look at the explanation. And the way that we do that is we just go back to the previous chapter, and here's what Paul explains. But their minds, talking about the Jewish people in the Old Testament with Moses, but their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. So it's saying these Old Testament individuals are not giving their lives over to the Lord, and because they haven't given their lives over to to Christ, this veil remains. And he goes on and he says this, But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And so what Paul, or yes, what Paul explains in this passage of Scripture is the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. Someone who's given their life to Christ and someone who has not. He's saying Jesus is the answer. In the Old Testament, in the lives of Moses, the people who followed after Moses never had their hearts changed by the Lord because they never gave their hearts to Christ. They never gave themselves to Jesus. And the difference between them and the believers of today is that believers, those who've trusted in Christ, they've come to Christ. And the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can say this, whoever, whenever, wherever you are, calling on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible tells us Jesus went to the cross for your sins. So it kind of contradicts the idea of universalism in this world. Meaning some people like to believe it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe is good, that's all that really matters. And the, the, the question then for that is, if that's really true, then why in the world did Jesus die? He had no reason for his death. It says that in Galatians. There's no reason for Christ to die if there's an, another way to that relationship with God for eternity, to know him forever. There, there, there's no reason. But what Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture is he's saying, those who have turned to the Lord, but whenever a person, it says in verse 16, turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And there's freedom. 
And he says something interesting in verse 18 uh, about what happens with that in your relationship with the Lord in regards to giving your life. When you give your life to Christ, when you come to him and you stop offering, as Isaiah 6 says, your filthy rags or deeds of, of, of service, trying to prove your merit before God, when you recognize you can never merit God's favor, but that God has extended his love, God has demonstrated his love to you and that while you're still sinners, when you come before that, the Lord gives you a, a new heart. When you surrender to him as Lord, the Lord gives you a new heart. And so he says in, in verse 18, and this relationship with God now begins because as you gaze upon the face of Christ, you are changed moment by moment into the image of Jesus. That relationship has been born and forgiveness has been delivered and your sins have been atoned for in Christ. Paul bringing up the therefore for us in chapter 4 and verse 1 becomes very significant because he answers really the question for us, how is it you don't lose heart? Now here's the answer the Bible gives. You don't lose your heart by losing your heart. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? You don't lose your heart by losing your heart. Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake gains it. And what God is communicating to us in this passage of Scripture and does the same thing in 1 Corinthians uh, 3.16. He tells us that we become new creations in Christ. We take the old self to Jesus. We take the sin. We take all of our religious merit and the worth that we think that we are before God. We take it to Him and, and it's null and void. It doesn't count. We lay it down before His cross and we just say, Jesus, you've paid for it all For me, regardless of anything I've done, Jesus, you've laid it all down and I'm trusting in that you are my Lord. I give you my life. And the Bible describes it like this. When you lose your heart, God gives you a new heart. In verse 18, he says, not only does he give you that new life or new heart in Christ, but then he begins to work on that heart to transform you into the image of a son. And so the question we asked this morning is, how do we keep from losing heart? And I tell you, the journey for everyone starts at the cross of Christ. You come to Jesus, you give yourself to him, the Lord gives you a new heart in him because of everything that he has done for you. And then you grow in that relationship with him, verse 18. And so if we're to add to that, Lord, how do, we, how do we keep from losing heart? It starts in that relationship with him, but then, but then we face in our lives circumstances that aren't always easy. Hey, you have babies and building projects and jobs and, and stress and whatever you can think of coming your way. How do you keep from losing heart? Well, the Apostle Paul explains to us in verse Three, or chapter 3, listen, this is, this is where it starts, coming to Christ. There are people in this world that have a veil because they don't see the significance of Jesus in this world, but coming to the cross of Christ, allowing Jesus to come into your life, make things new, reflecting upon Him, but then Paul's honest and he says, you know, once that starts in your life, there is still adversity. So how do you keep from losing heart? He goes on and says this to us. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Paul's going to explain really just three main ideas for us in his, 
his attitude towards Christ that kept him in the midst of adversity, focused on Jesus and the joy of that relationship in him. The first thing he says in this verse is because of God's mercy, we have this ministry. So the first thing that Paul does in his life to stay the course and to not lose heart in his faithfulness of Jesus is to reflect on the goodness of Jesus. He looks at the worth of Christ in light of who he is. And he refers to God and his attribute. We talked about this last week in the life of Jonah. He talks about mercy. He's recognizing this to us about the Lord that when it comes to sin, God is holy and in his holiness can punish sin however he desires to punish sin. God is a holy God. God hates sin. God brings judgment on sin. God can cast sin from his presence for eternity. And Paul is saying, when I recognize the goodness of Christ in my life, God has given me a position with purpose in Him. I rejoice over that fact of knowing that while God could have given me judgment, God has given me His grace. The thought for us in losing heart in the Apostle Paul's life is never forget the goodness of Christ being made known in your life. When I win a million dollars, one day I'm I'm certain that I will, um, I will not keep that a secret until you ask me for money, right? That is such a delightful moment that I will scream from the hills. We, um, a few weeks ago, I can think of some things that happened wonderfully in my life. And, and, and a few weeks ago, some, some older guys at church, just a few older guys at church, got together and we played some um, high school kids in basketball. And when we won, you would have thought it was the NBA championship being declared. Those joyful moments of out of shape, overweight, jiggly guys just owning the kids, you know, it's great. Reflecting on that moment now, I still smile, right? Amen. Yes, Derek was on my team. <laughs> you think about that as it relates to Jesus. The Apostle Paul says to the believers in Corinth, listen guys, I am not losing heart because my value is placed in Christ. I don't count the rest of the world and the things that it possesses as worthy. The, the infinite jewel for me is Jesus. And when I take the opportunity to reflect upon the goodness of him being made known in my life because of what he's done for me, nothing that I've done, but the mercy that he's just extended, the joy of my heart is far greater than winning any basketball game. It's far greater than winning a million dollars. The worth of knowing Christ for eternity. Paul gets a new position with a new purpose in Christ. God gives him a new song to sing, a new life to live, and it's one that does not disappoint. It's this attitude change in the heart of the Apostle Paul that when he treats his relationship with God or when he goes before God in his relationship, he goes with this attitude. Rather than go to God and tell him how he can be involved in my life, I go to God to seek how I can be involved in his. See, this king... 
He is Lord, it told us in chapter 3. He is Lord that I have surrendered to. He is on the move in this world. It's not about my kingdom, it's about his. It wasn't my mercy that was extended, it was his. It's his goodness that's going to be made known forever. Why am I living for my own? I look at his worth. Looking at the worth of the the king who has given you his mercy, calling you into ministry. And I love the way that the Lord does it because when God calls us into ministry, it's not complicated. We like to make it complicated, but it's not complicated. I mean, all that Paul did in explaining the ministry to us in chapter 3 was he just talked about what Jesus did. There was a veil. He lifted the veil. I'm in the light because of Christ. And he's just going around the world and he's sharing it. Look at what Jesus can bring into your life. Look at what Jesus has done for me. Look at Christ and everything that he has done for you. Second thing that Paul says comes in verse 2. He explains it this way. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Let me just stop right there. I'll read the rest of that in just a moment. Paul, as he begins to explain in verse 2, he talks about his significance in the relationship with Christ. Do you know why I treasure Christ? This is what Paul would say. Do you know why I'm treasuring Christ in the midst of adversity? It's because I'm walking with Christ in the midst of adversity. And Paul's saying to us in verse 2 that he's taking sin seriously. What, what he's saying to us as believers is that we should also take sin, sin seriously. When we talk about losing heart in the Lord, the way that we lose heart is we do the things contrary to what Jesus is about. And when we do the things contrary to what Jesus is about, we don't enjoy that relationship with Christ. And God's not about killing your joy. He's about enhancing or helping you find joy in Him. He knows the expense of the decisions that we make and the cost for which we do things. And so he comes into our lives not to kill your joy, but to bring his joy in you. And so he's saying, I take these things seriously because I understand the infinite worth of Christ in my life and walking in that life and how significant that is. If I want to walk this road with Christ, I've got to walk this road with Christ. And so Paul approaches sin. Can I tell you, um, last week, um, I think I, I may have undermined that a little bit. And I said um, we take sin seriously here at church um, and talked about the need for Jesus as well. But um, if, I, if I could just throw a thought in, a, in what we should be about as a church family. Um, you know, I said we don't, we don't like to dwell on sin. We don't like to dwell on the past is what I said. We don't like to dwell on the past, okay? Um, but that's not a way to undermine it. So we don't like to dwell on it, but we do like to deal with it. And Jesus deals with it. It affects our relationship with him. Uh, as a believer, Paul's talking to believers here. He's not talking to the unsaved, but he's saying to us, um, take your relationship with Christ seriously if you don't take it seriously and you don't treat it like a relationship with him, you're not going to find the joy in following after him and you will lose heart because it's about him. 
And so the way that we deal with sin isn't all of a sudden we try to make ourselves super strong or we try to be these better individuals. You know what, I found out I'm sinning. I'm going to go out into this world and just be more powerful. If we do that independently, a lot of times we just fall right back on our face. The idea that Paul says in this passage of Scripture is that we walk in the light. We just take it before the Lord. I'm going to be honest, God. I know ultimately what I've been created for in this world is a relationship with you. That's why God has designed you. God created you for him, to know him and to know him for eternity. And the thing that destroys that, that robs you of your joy and it, and it harms the body of Christ around you and all your relationships really is sin. It's about being serious with it. And if there's things in our lives that we just can't seem to break free from, it's about being honest in that. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another. When I think about, as we talked about this church that began five years ago, and we dream all the dreams of the beauty of what God could do in this congregation, one of the things that we wanted was just people that are real. We don't walk in our building like religiously pious people who, who act like we got our stuff all together. The reality is the Bible tells us that all of us are sinners. And so the honesty of what Scripture communicates is that not one of us has our stuff together. James encourages us to confess our sins to one another because there's, there's a need for the Lord to do a healing in our lives is what it talks about in James. God, to work in our hearts, to move within us, to find another brother in, or sister in Christ that God could be working in to encourage me in this world. And that's one of the blessings of having Jared and Terry here. Just knowing that their training is in biblical counseling knowing that their encouragement for us isn't to tell us, you know, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Their encouragement is to say, you know, this is the Lord. He desires to have this relationship with you. He desires for you to know him intimately, and we just want to come alongside and encourage you to live in the light as he is in the light. And Paul's saying in this verse, the way that we don't lose heart is, one, I look at the, the goodness of God that has been made known in my life, and two, I'm walking in that light. I'm walking with Christ and I'm enjoying that relationship with Him. My, my value is set on who Christ is and, and that's what I prize. And so in verse 3, he goes on to explain the way the gospel is being presented in the world and it says, and even our gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel. Just real quick, God of this world is Satan one of the titles. He's also called the prince of the power of the air in the Bible. And so, so he's saying the world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so it goes on in verse five and six, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus sake. For God who said light shine, uh, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And Paul's saying this to us. I recognize um, Jesus' worth in my life, and I'm walking in that light to share the ministry of Christ in this world, but there's a problem that I'm encountering in verse 3 and 4, is that there is a veil over individuals who are hearing this message, and he says to us, Satan blinds eyes. Paul tells us in, in verse 4 that Satan blinds the eyes of the unbeliever, but then he goes on to tell us in verse 5, that he's not the one that's capable of opening the eyes. Jesus opens their eyes. Paul walks in the light 
And his dependency in walking the light is never his own. It rests in Christ. So we can say to ourselves, if I'm not capable of opening someone's eyes by sharing God's word, then why share God's word? And the answer is because Jesus is. Jesus' spirit is the one that moves. We aren't the Holy Spirit. We don't possess the power to control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves in the lives of people as, as God desires. When, when you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, who's writing this text, it talks about his conversion. It says this, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I have appeared to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And he tells why, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light from the dominion of Satan to God. And so Paul's recognizing in his own life, you know, he doesn't have the power to save people. He doesn't have the power to make ears open. He doesn't have the power to watch people become redeemed. But what he does have is a desire to share the love of the Lord. And in that, God uses him and God brings life. One of my favorite stories in the Bible comes in in the book of John. John chapter 9. And I think in light of what Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture, as you do ministry in this world, and just being honest with it, and just sharing Jesus with people, and loving them, and preaching God's truth to them, just talking about the gospel and what Jesus has done, sometimes it's not easy. People will reject you. Turn turn a blind eye and, and walk away not care what you have to say, or even be outright just rude about it, right? And how difficult that is on your heart when it weighs heavily upon you, wishing that the Lord would work in, in, in their lives and they would come to know Him and experience the same joy that you experience. And Paul's saying in this passage, you know, I, I'm going to these towns, I'm preaching God's Word, and I know some people are rejecting it and some people are accepting it, but I'm not losing heart about it because it's not up to me. It's up to Him. I've just seen his worth and I, and I know the value that Jesus carries. I know the goodness that he offers for eternity. I, I, I know that Christ is worthy and so I'm just faithful to that. And in that, God will use me to speak to hearts. One of my favorite stories comes in, in John 9. Um, you think about sharing the lives of people that, that you encounter and, and just the approach to that. And you hear stories about how people come to Christ. Some of them are just crazy. And I turn on the TV and someone said the word Jesus and then then I'll decide to read my Bible and all of a sudden next thing you know I'm a Christian. I love the story in in John 9 because it shares the heart of Jesus and his desire for people to come to know him. And and, in John chapter 9, it's it's the story of the blind man. Jesus comes up to the blind man and he heals him. And the Jewish synagogue gets angry that this man was blind and now he sees and he's given praise to, to Christ. And so they bring him into the synagogue and, and they ask him uh, about it and they ask friends and family about it. They're, yeah, this man was born blind, but now he sees and they ask him for his own testimony. Jesus did it. All I know was I was blind, but now I see. It's that simple. And just sharing what Jesus has done. All I know was I was blind and now I see and Christ did it. And the Bible tells us in verse 34, the synagogue, upon hearing this testimony, became frustrated with the blind man and they put him out. And this man, in his experience with Christ, 
lost his friends and his family and his community in just a matter of minutes. Looking at the glory of Christ, it cost him. I love what Jesus does. You can imagine in this picture, this guy was a blind man and he had never seen Jesus. Jesus healed him and walked away and he still didn't know what Jesus looked like. And it tells us upon hearing this, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Talking about himself. Can imagine the moment, the blind man, he's just distraught. He's not got a friend in the world. Life is difficult for him. Stress is on him. He's wondering, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I haven't been able to work for myself because I couldn't see to do anything. Now I have literally nowhere. And the Bible tells us that Jesus goes out of his way to find him. And this Jesus sits beside the blind man. The blind man has no idea still who he is. And yet Jesus cares so much about him that he, he goes to this man, he seeks this man out, and he talks to them about the most significant thing. What do you think about Jesus? Paul's saying to us, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart because we see the worth of Christ. We, we don't lose heart because God has called us to carry this ministry into the world. We don't lose heart when we walk in the light with him and God has set us apart to proclaim this message that others may see light as well. And he goes on and says in verse four, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. I love the way Paul describes himself in that picture of seeing God's infinite worth. All he talks about himself as is just a clay pot. I'm just this clay pot and God has just lavished and dumped and filled the goodness of all that he is into my life. And so it's not about me. It's the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted. Listen, Paul's, Paul's not delusional to the difficulty. He says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound in the glory of God. This is the part where you just get to the nitty gritty and say to yourselves, what is Jesus worth to me? What is his mercy valued in my own heart? What is the relationship of knowing him and the sacrifice he's made on the cross worth to me? When you examine the worth and if Jesus moves in your heart in those moments, you say, I, I can't lose heart in sharing this. Though moments may be difficult, it pales in comparison to the infinite glory and goodness of seeing Jesus face to face for all eternity. Paul says in this passage, it's just but a moment, these things we endure for the sake of Christ. And Paul reflects in verse 15. He says, for all things as for your sakes of the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of things to abound in the glory of God. 
You know what I do in, in my week? I go to the building a lot now. It's like my second home. And every once in a while, maybe not even there, just different times in my life, bitterness will creep in. I've been working sometimes by myself. I'm like, ah, I know other people have jobs. <laughs> so so ah, I want a friend. I want a friend. <laughs> I don't want to be here. And bitterness creeps in. Ah, I'll just cut off early today. You know what the Lord uses to work on my heart in those moments? I start thinking about my church family. I think about the little kids who come and worship in the back and are growing in the Lord. I think about the way that God has moved in each of our hearts. Before we had our church here where people would have said they were in their relationship with the Lord. And creating this family here and watching people gather together and begin to share the way that God is working in their hearts. The same God who's moved in my heart is moving in all of our hearts. And when you think about just the picture of the church family, man, you, you work so much greater. You've got purpose. You've got significance in light of eternity, seeing lives that are just changed, not just for a moment, but lives that are being changed forever. You think moving into a facility, having a permanent place of worship as a church family, thinking of all the, the difficulty and the stress sometimes that comes with ministry and how hard a building project will be, but to think forever, forever, God is changing lives, not only in this church, but in this community. It's happening forever for His goodness and glory. If the church can just continue to focus on His mercy and on His worth and walk in that light and see the goodness of God and what He's doing in this world, it's being changed forever. It's worthy. It's forever. Ever. has a tendency to take the problems that I find so significant and just take a step back and say that's nothing nothing in comparison to what Christ is doing Paul wrote this in Colossians it says set your mind on things above not on the things that are on the earth saying to us the same idea in Corinthians make, make his kingdom your treasure Make the worth of Christ your treasure. Listen, if Jesus isn't worth it to you, you lose heart. When things get difficult, you will lose heart. But when Jesus, you take time to step back and reflect on the glory of his worth in the midst of a busy life and you see what God is doing, it's worth it. Even in your own life, it's worth it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Paul wrote, My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So let me just show you that. When I told you everyone, yeah, there you <laughs> I told you everyone was hanging like monkeys last night. Um, Frank took this, by the way. He was one of the monkeys. Um, they were hanging from the rafters. You can see a ladder going up, putting up the, the projector screen for us. We've got our lights mounted. Those are tools. They're not even being used. We don't even need them. We're down to like floors and baseboard now. That is awesome. For us as a church family, it's just a picture for us to say, hey, for like 10 months of pregnancy, you've been busy. Things have been stressful. Ministries may have been hard and we've been pulled every direction. 
And this is a good time to just take a step back and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing. God, thank you for the way that your hand has moved. Thank you for this church. God, thank you that we're a part of this. Thank you that your mercy has been given. God, thank you that your light has been made known. God, thank you. Maybe go further. Lord, thank you that in the midst of all this, your church has remained faithful. Thank you that when things could have been difficult and we could have ripped each other apart, Lord, that you've kept this family together and ministries are still going and lives are being changed. Lord, thank you. And so Paul concludes. Let me just read these final thoughts. He starts with do not lose heart and he ends with do not lose heart. I think I said verse 20 in the beginning. I'm sorry, it's 16. It says this, just to remind you again, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day as we focus on the worth of Christ. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Because how do you not lose heart? How do you be faithful to Christ in the midst of adversity? The answer is simple in this passage. First, you lose your heart. You lose your heart to Christ. You look to the mercy that He's extended in your life and the light that He shares in you and, and through you as you desire to know Him and surrender your life to Him. And God uses you to proclaim that. And through, through you, this world can be changed forever. Lives are impacted forever. When you consider the joy of eternity and seeing Christ face to face and living for that kingdom, we do not lose heart.